Okay, so today we're going to look at what it means to expand our thinking, to take a little dream, an idea, a thought, even maybe just like a little wish that you've had, and put it into the hands of God and uh, say to him, what do you see when I dream? And what are you going to do with a little dream that I've got that means I have to rely on God being real, on prayer actually working, and it not being all about me? So that's what we're going to look at today. Now, on the day that I was born, the world was not entirely ready for me, as uh, it may not surprise you to hear. I was three weeks early, and it was an absolute nightmare, because my dad was in Korea um, at the Olympics, not being an athlete, being a chaplain. My grandma, who was like mum's mum, you know, first port of call, uh, was still in America visiting family friends. And so uh, when mum realized she was going into labor, it was like appalling timing. But um, I'm no respecter of those things, and so I was on the way anyway. So uh, mum's at home with my little brother going into labour. None of the family that she's got prepared are ready and there. So she rings Pat, uh, Pat the reliable babysitter. And um, mum rings Pat, and Pat says on the phone, um, well, she's a bit hesitant. And mum's like, could really do with you coming over and looking after Luke, my little brother, because uh, I, I need to go like, now, now. And so Pat's like, okay, I'll... I'll be there. I'll be there now. Pat turns up um, mid-perm with her hairdresser. God bless her. Like, she decided, you know, Rachel needs me at a time like this. And so took her, visit, uh, like, home visiting hairdresser, avec all of her equipment, and they come mid-perm to look after my brother so that mum can be driven by Margaret off of next door to the hospital and then um, for an emergency C-section because I was lying sideways and refused to move. So they had to get me out a different way. So anyway, uh, on the 19th of September, just before lunchtime, 1988, I came into the world, uh, not bang on uh, exactly the way everyone intended, but here I was. Now, uh, Margaret, off of next door that drove mum, her husband worked for ITV News, and that was really helpful because they had communication channels to Korea where my dad was, which meant they could ring the newsroom and get a call through to dad to say, mate, you've, you've now got a daughter. And then they managed to fax through a photo of me, just born, but of course, fax being black and white, I came out full on black, like genuinely. <laughs> My dad was shocked. There's no, you know, he did question, he had a couple questions, let's be honest. A couple questions going on there about what was going on with Miriam, but never mind. <clears throat> that was the day I was born. Now, of course, um, for new parents, if they find out that they're either going to um, have a baby or they've been accepted for adoption or that they've got a new member of the family coming into context, there are lots of dreams and visions and ideas in which people, when new life gets discovered, when new life gets announced, we start to dream. We can't help it. We start to think, oh, what are they going to be like? How is it going to fit into this family unit? Um, are they going to take after you? Are they going to have my nose? Are they going to have your ears? I really hope they don't have your temper. Are they going to be artistic? Are they going to be musical? Are they going to be the next William Wilberforce or the next Emmeline Pankhurst? Are they going to change the world? Are they going to be totally unpredictable? Are they going to come out a completely different race in the case of me by accident on facts? There are dreams that we have when new life is discovered. And that's true whether actually it's a new job, a new neighborhood, start of a new church, um, a new friendship, a new phase of life, a new degree, we get these dreams when the new comes up and we start to think, now, what could be? And the truth is, on the day that you were born, there were dreams about you as well. And I can say that with confidence, regardless of who gave birth to you, regardless of whether you were your parents' idea or not, and regardless of who brought you up. Because we know God, 
the creator and sustainer of all things. Because we know God who hand makes humans on purpose for a purpose, I can say in total faith that there are dreams and visions in you, about you, and that God has designed to happen through you from the day that he decided it was a good idea that you were here. With dreams, there is always a bigger vision that God has. And it starts with that tiny moment of life being breathed into being. But God is a dreamer. And as we have dreams, he simply invites us to discover he has already got even bigger dreams about you, for you, through you, and for humanity than we dare imagine. So today, I want us to tap into a little bit about what it means to encounter this God who dreams and what it might look like if we began to let him speak about the things that we've had a little whispered idea about, a little dream, even some of the things you thought but never said out loud. And it's actually even been quite vulnerable for you to write something on that piece of paper. Let me pray for that now before we start. Father God, thank you that before anything, you dreamt us up and you made us to join in your greater purposes and the work that you're doing in the world. Jesus, help us to trust you to think bigger. Holy Spirit, would you multiply the impact of this community that more of God's kingdom might come? In your name we pray. Amen. So the idea of, job, uh, of God's dream going bigger and multiplying is nothing new. In fact, you can go back to the very first book of the Bible, Genesis. You can go to the very first chapter of Genesis and you see that God has set in in humanity, from the very start, in how he created everything, he set this idea of multiplication thinking, of it always going beyond the new life that was started. If you've got your Bibles with you on your phones, or you can look on the screen, in Genesis chapter 1, you get this beautiful ancient poem about that basically gives you this idea of rhythm and order in how God created everything out of nothing, okay? And so it kind of is this poetic way of telling the story of light and dark, of sea and sky, of um, trees growing and fish and birds coming into being. And at the kind of pinnacle of this poem, God breathes humanity into the picture. He puts people on the earth as part of his big dream for what this is all about. And in verse 27, uh, verse 26, he says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in, in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. From the very start of creation, we see that God put in us this idea of you are blessed and it will multiply. You are blessed by God. You are given the unearned love and favor and power and presence of God. You've not done anything for it. You just woke up and were alive. You are blessed. And out of that blessing, you will increase in number. You will grow. You will multiply. And this rhythm we see happens throughout Scripture. It's not just in chapter 1. It keeps going. For example, fast forward a few chapters later to Genesis 12. And if you know your Bibles in terms of the Old Testament, already you might be thinking, I've heard this blessed to be a blessing thing. I've heard this in other places in Scripture. Abraham, who later gets called Abraham, when his dream begins to become God's reality, you see that God says to Abraham, 
I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. That multiplication thinking is in our DNA. You are blessed, but it's not about you. You are blessed, but it flows all the way through you and beyond anything that one guy, Abraham, could imagine. All people on earth will be blessed through you. God is a God of multiplying dreams. It goes bigger. I was thinking about where else uh, this kind of reminded me of in the Old Testament, in the um, before God makes himself noble in Jesus, where do we still see this pattern? And um, I was thinking Moses, for example. Now, Moses... Um, he maybe Moses' dream was to help one person get free who was in slavery. Because when Moses was a young man, he was actually born to a people that didn't raise him. And his people he was born into, known as the Israelites, were in slavery. Moses was a slave, but he wasn't treated like a slave because he'd got, he was being raised by the people keeping them in slavery. I wonder whether Moses' dream was, I want to see one person free, because one day he sees a slave being beaten up, and actually, as a young man, he goes over in fury and kills the guy that was trying to kill the slave. Moses' dream was, I will, I will help one life get free. God's dream for Moses goes bigger. Forty years later, God says to Moses, you are going to see a whole people get free from slavery. And this crazy story happens where Moses ends up leading his entire people group to freedom, not just seeing one guy free. He sees a whole nation freed because God has multiplication thinking. He doesn't think Moses one life for one life. God thinks I can use one life to do immeasurably more through you and the people around you. I think about Queen Esther. Now, she got human trafficked into the king's courts, and basically because she was really pretty. And Esther's dream might well have been not to get killed, to keep her head down and stay faithful to God in her heart, even if she couldn't say it out loud. But God's dream for Esther multiplied, because Esther not only kept herself faithful, but she stood before the king um, at risk of pain of death, which was most likely what would happen. And she managed to see a whole people group not get killed in a genocide because Esther, with a mentor called Mordecai, stood before the king and saw a people free, not just Esther stay faithful, but the people of God stay faithful. Because God's dream takes our little dream of our lives and multiplies it. Or think about, I think about Gideon. Gideon, who called himself the weakest of the weakest of the lowest of the low of the nobody. Like Gideon didn't even have a dream for himself. Gideon would not write anything down on that piece of paper. Gideon was like, I just want to not get killed, so I'm literally hiding in somewhere you're supposed to be making wine. So the, the man is basically in a hole when God shows up and goes, right, Gideon, you've not even had a good dream for yourself, love. But what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to use you to be a mighty warrior, and I'm going to provide a community around you. And even though you're the minority, you are going to see nations pushed back when the odds are utterly against you. You are going to be used for the power of God. And I'm going to provide an army around you, even though you are the weakest of the weakest of the weakest of the weakest that didn't even have a dream. God is in the God of multiplication. He's in the God, of, he's a God of dreaming and he's a God of taking our little idea and scaling it up for his glory and so that more people might be blessed. In the New Testament, Jesus makes it clear that he has these big dreams too, like father, like son. Jesus also has dreams and they go bigger than one person at one time in one way. 
Jesus makes it clear that his dream for humanity, just like Father God created us, is for us to be blessed, to be a blessing, and for it to go even further than Jesus. So in Matthew 28, you get this moment where, um, well, I'll read it to you. It's on the screen. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. You've got 11 blokes standing on a hill. They think they've seen the guy they thought was God die. They've heard that he's resurrected. They've met him a few times, and that's quite a scary concept. And then they've sa- he said, come meet me on a mountaintop. And they know mountaintops mean God moments. So they're kind of ready. But even when they're on the mountaintop, oh, probably over half of them are already going, I don't really know whether this is God after all. I'm not really sure God is real. He certainly wouldn't use me. I'm not really sure what we're doing up here. Jesus shows up anyway, and even though they're doubting, which means that anybody in the room is now not disqualified from having a God dream, turns out, whilst they're standing there fully doubting, Jesus goes, you are going to reach every nation with the good news of God. Go for it. I'm giving you my authority. Go for it. For a kind of random bunch of blokes that aren't really sure what's going on. I don't think those disciples could have ever imagined that we'd be sitting here today because of Jesus. But technically, God's dream for them must have made some sense, must have been possible, because churches don't exist without that commissioning moment of Jesus going, you're going to see this go to every nation, and you're going to teach people about me. And somewhere in, in an estate in York, in England, in 2018, the movement is still continuing because of a random bunch of people that weren't even sure it was real getting commissioned and sent out to go. God's dream definitely goes bigger than ours. And no one is disqualified from joining in with it, even if you're standing there going, I don't really know whether he's God. Turns out that's who Jesus used. And he did tell us this was going to go further than Jesus, than God made knowable. He said it, John 14, very truly I tell you, this is Jesus. Whoever believes in me will do the works that I've been doing. And they will do greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. By the time we get to the book of Acts, we start to see literally how the church is acting out following Jesus now that they've realized he's alive, he is God, and he sent us out in power. Jesus says to them at the start of the book of Acts, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Fast forward a few days, and exactly what Jesus just said then happens. Acts 2, you might have heard of the day of Pentecost. It says, when the day of Pentecost came, they, this is Jesus' early followers, were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled. You can see Jesus' dream of the first disciples being able to share the good news of God to every nation is already beginning to come true. Because as they experience the power of God, in this case, they start speaking out in other languages not their own that mean other nations in the city they were in begin to understand the good news of Jesus. 
It's already starting. God's dream of multiplication has started already in Jerusalem. It's going to spread out to the surrounding areas of Judea and Samaria and go on to the ends of the earth. If you carry on walking through the New Testament accounts, you keep tripping over God's multiplication thinking at work. New churches get started. More people become believers in Jesus daily. More houses get opened up and yet host more people. Everyone starts sharing their money and possessions and yet that helps more people in need. More Christians get thrown into prison so then more prisoners and prison guards get saved. More miracles of healing and deliverance happen and yet more people start following Jesus. Then more churches get attacked and persecuted so Christians scatter and then the good news has to spread even further because they're running into other nations as they're being chased out but they're sharing the good good news of God as they go, and this whole thing starts spreading. The signs of multiplication go on and on and on, and we're a living sign of it today. I think it is outrageous that God himself, in the form of Jesus on earth, said, I'm going to go because I'm actually going to multiply this further without my physical presence here. Jesus himself gets out the way for the thing to multiply. Jesus himself knows God's multiplication vision is going to be community. It's going to always be bigger than one person. It's going to be shared. It's going to go further. And it's going to be through the power of the Holy Spirit in all of us. That's why when we write down our dream, we want to start thinking, hold on, if God got hold of this, and if, if this had God's dreaming all over it, this would definitely go bigger than me. It would definitely not be all my own efforts. It would definitely involve the Holy Spirit having to do something because that pattern is throughout even how Jesus dreamt and how Jesus worked. To give you an example of kind of how I've been experimenting with this. So I moved to Teesside to Middlesbrough just over a year ago, basically as part of the G2 story of realizing that G2's dream has to go bigger than just being nice for the existing people in our community. And G2's dream and how we love others has to go beyond York. Not because York doesn't need the love of God, but because the love of God seeks out the places that society would say are less lovable, are less popular, that no one really wants to live in. The love of God actively seeks out the places that get forgotten and particularly wants wants to show his love there. And so I thought, well, that would be good for G2 to experiment with what it looks like for us to dream beyond York in how we love other people, to love our neighbours as ourselves. When I moved to Teesside, there are 10,000 students in my town and there wasn't a single student worker. Uh, there was one chaplain who promptly left and they have still not been replaced. And um, I very quickly realized if my dream in Teesside was to see any students come to know Jesus and to see any churches begin to have students as part of the heart of them like G2 does, this dream had to go bigger than me. I couldn't do it on my own. And if prayer didn't work, this wasn't going to work. Now, if, I, if my dream just stayed on my piece of paper, line one of I'd like to see some students come to know Jesus, I could just nominate myself as a volunteer student work and probably see the little Anglican church I'm in, probably see some students come and that'd be okay. But if my dream is for Teesside, if my dream is for a whole area, a whole campus, a whole church in all of its expressions to engage with young adults, I'm going to need some help here. But I think the dream of God goes bigger than one church, one Sunday evening service. I think it goes bigger. And so rather than me voting myself in as a student worker, I began to look at anyone we had 
which basically was a little bit like looking at 11 disciples and half of them are doubting God's real. That's essentially the situation. And saying, I nominate you to be the new student worker, even though you're a second year student. I nominate you to be the point of contact for young adults, basically because you're under 40 and, and, and you're the only one. And so in the space of a year, I began to talk this narrative of what if God is doing something on campus? What if it involves all of us because no one can go on their own? What if we all have to be the mission team across churches because one church doesn't have any students? In fact, none of us had more than four. So we actually need to do something together. Fast forward one year, there are now, I'm working with five local churches next to campus, all of whom have a student worker. Now they're not paid, but they're either volunteer, they're either part-time, or their current students who now go, I feel called to be the point of contact for seeing my church reach students. Secondly, we actually had some students turn up at some churches rather than just at mine, which is huge. But when one student walks through the door of a church and they've not seen a student in their church for 15 years, that feels like an answer to prayer in quite a big way. We've started doing things like nightclub mission. It's not one church. It's not branded at all because there isn't one church that has students enough to do it. It's everybody. It's all hands on deck. And the photo up there gives you a little picture of how I'm beginning to see God's multiplication thinking. In that picture are people that don't know Jesus. In that picture is my Muslim next door neighbor. In that picture are people that are now the student workers who literally got called from Canada, who got called from other bits of the UK, and some of them who just woke up to the reality of the campus on their doorstep and said, I think I feel called to do something. Something. And that's all happened in the last 12 months. I'm trying to learn God's multiplication thinking, and I'm realizing it's definitely not about me. It definitely goes beyond one person. It definitely needs the Holy Spirit, but it's definitely going to have a bigger impact than just our own efforts quietly on our own. We've got to start sharing the dream. I don't know what you wrote on your piece of paper, but I do know that I want us to take some time to ask God, if I scaled this up so that I'm reliant on God being real, prayer actually working and other people being part of it, what does this dream look like now? Take another look at your dream. What does it look like to have multiplication thinking on it? What if it was to see your housemates or one of your family members come to know Jesus? What does it look like to multiply that dream? What if God's dream for that was that actually your housemates would start inviting other people that don't know Jesus to come experience Jesus at church too, before they're even Christians? What would it look like to... Not only see your families come to know Jesus, but even people to find their own place in church and have mates outside of you in the community so that you realize it's not all on you. They're actually a part of a bigger thing than you. They're already volunteering somewhere else. They feel involved. If your dream is to change the stats on an area of injustice or a system, what does it look like to stumble into God's dream for changing injustice, for God's dreams to change, uh, changing an area of society that's broken when you realize other people are doing it already and you're being invited to join in a much bigger team, maybe across nations, what does it look like if you suddenly join in a movement rather than think you always have to start it yourself? If your dream is to see society less like, divided by class systems, boundary systems, um, ethnic divides, what does it look like for God to say, well, it starts at what your kitchen table looks like and who you eat with? but it's going to multiply because you're going to start to realize you need other people in the community involved because whole families want to get to know Jesus because whole areas need to be moved into that have otherwise been ignored. How would dreaming with God about your little piece of paper, how would it change the way you pray and what you do, even in how you live in the coming week, if you took that dream and thought God is a God of multiplication and he is dreaming bigger than I am with my own life from the day I was born and the ideas in my hand. So we're going to take a moment to think about that now. 
I, I recommend first thinking on your own just to give yourself a bit of headspace to look at your dream or if you've not managed to write it yet, to write an idea down and then think, if I scaled it, even just scaled it up from one person, I don't know, to two or one family member to their household or um, an area of injustice in my own life to what it would look like for York to look different because of that. Start to think, what does it look like to scale up that dream? Because God might be saying, you're going to have to pray, you're going to have to trust me, and you're going to need my provision for this to work. It can't just be in your own strength, because that's not how God's ever done the dreaming thing. Well, take some space and reflect. And then it might be you want to share it with the person next to you, or even just ask their advice, like, how would you scale this up? How would you make this bigger in a way that involves other people? Let me pray for us, and then we'll take some space to think about multiplying the dream. So Holy Spirit, I ask that you would fill us with your presence as we dream with you. Lord, will you help us dream bigger and will you help us discern your voice to notice what you might be saying? God, will you help us see Jesus, to take our ideas, to put them into his hands and to see how he multiplies it? Come Holy Spirit and speak to us now as we dream. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. We'll play some music and uh, give you a chance to write your dream and think, how does it go bigger with God?